Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. One of the most powerful organizational muscles that you can grow and hone within your business is the ability to identify issues, crowdsource uh, solutions and information from your field teams to help you understand what's really happening, not what you think is happening, and then to very quickly implement training and process changes to address those issues and get them off the list of top issues. That muscle, that ability to do that, will allow you to grow your business, increase your customer satisfaction, increase your sales and profitability, and ultimately, you are going to start to to get incrementally ahead of your competitors and you're going to get to start pushing them around the playing field. And if you, that's what Ops Analytica does, we are the tool, we are the dumbbell that helps you build that muscle within your organization and it probably is one of the most important muscles to have because it's where the change and the growth happens. Check us out opsanalytica.com, get yourself a demo. You won't not regret it. What up, Order Up Show podcast? How are you guys today? I am super excited to announce my guest for today, Rach Brand. Hello, Rach. How are you doing today? Hi, Tommy. How are you? I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You're so welcome. It is It is very exciting. I could see why everyone would be so excited. <laughs> uh, thank you for coming on today. Uh, as you know, Rach, we uh, we were talking about this earlier. We ask every single guest the same five questions. That's the format of the show. So, uh, and the first question I think is is always one I'm most excited about. So uh, here it is. Explain what you do today, and then take us through your career progression from your first job to how you got here. Okay. Well, what I do today is very different than where I started. But I've always come in with the same mentality. Um, my role is a GSD girl. And if you ask me what that is, it literally stands for get shit done. I work, <laughs> I work for a franchisee in Las Vegas. His name is Lincoln Spore. And we've been working together for the last five years and helping to build out the Las Vegas Strip with his food courts. But my history kind of started in... Um, a variety of different disciplines. The first was um, in QSR land. My first job was when I was 14 working at McDonald's as a drive through girl. And I absolutely loved process. I got really excited and totally into process. Um, so I kind of stayed with that mentality through every part of my career. Um, I worked for a company out of Baltimore in from 2002 to 2006 called Hospitality Services. And that's where I got my start. My um, mentor and the owner of the company, Alan Greenberg, who has since passed, is a wonderful influence of my life. And we started together working through a variety of different projects, which kind of led me to where I am today. It's really interesting. It's like a full circle plan. Somewhere in the middle, I spent a lot of time as CPG and working with contract catering, like Compass Group. And on the CPG side, I spent a number of years at Chobani. And I've always kind of worked as a gig worker. So um, I'm continuing that discipline today and I really love it. Um, my last post was a partner in a venture capital fund out of San Francisco, um, which kind of had a rocky start right at the beginning of COVID. And I unfortunately didn't make it, but at some point I will definitely be getting back to VC land. So oh, wow. 
What? Okay. I'm like looking at your LinkedIn. That's how much prep. I, that's how much prep I do. You know, pre show. As I, I'm just, I spent hours and hours. And hours. <laughs> Don't you worry. We actually I, have a ton of shared friends. It's so weird. Oh my gosh. No, I know it's nuts. And like, I was born in Hopkins, just FYI. But oh, like, crazy. Uh, yeah. I spent 12 years in Baltimore. I'm like a salty Balti to the core. I love it there. Okay. You're the first person who's ever said that. So that's amazing. <laughs> like, you'll go down, they're going to put you on the posters uh, around, uh, around the crime scenes. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so okay so i grew up in maryland like uh you know um in 1972 where i was born and then i lived there until like 1990 and then i went to college that's how i ended up in colorado eventually uh but then i came back to baltimore i actually started doing stand-up comedy at winchester's on light street in 1995. that's amazing so and like you know, i had my car broken into almost got jumped it was good times and uh <laughs> And I was there for a while. And then I worked in that Washington, D.C. area. You know, obviously, when I was growing up and I was in college, I'd come home for summers or whatnot. So I worked in a bunch of restaurants around there. And then um, and then also worked around northern D.C. and Virginia country clubs and restaurants at every time. So you were. So where did you grow up? Where, where were you from originally? I have like, it's such a weird story. So my parents, they, I would like to call them bored, I guess is probably the best way to put it. But every five years when I was a kid, they moved. So I started in Rochester and we moved, we lived in Minnesota for a couple of years, Ohio for a couple of years, Pennsylvania. We spent time in California and Florida. And then um, my high school, I chose to go to boarding school because I was really sick of moving around. And my great grandfather sure. had gone to Mercersburg Academy and southern pennsylvania so i went as legacy which was so fun um and i was there for four years and then i was accepted to maryland institute in baltimore so i went i moved to baltimore oh, okay there okay i got it so i went to valley forge military in philly like south oh i know valley forge for sure lots of friends there yeah i didn't go to the high school so my wife loves it because i loved the military college and uh, but the high school is definitely like a reform school. And so then every time like they would tell somebody, oh, yeah, my husband went to Valley Forge. Like, was he a bad kid? Was he in trouble all the time? Like, <laughs> why was he there? That's awesome. No, I, I wanted to go there for high school. Two friends that were totally sent there. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. That's totally what happens to. Hey, you caught that trailer on fire. You're going to Valley Forge or jail it <laughs> is really kind of what happens there at the high school level. And also the crazy thing is our high school football team is like Phil, like we win everything because all these guys that can't are like don't have the grades to get like red shirted D one football end up at Valley Forge just for the fall to like take their SATs again. And so our football team is basically like D one starters playing high school kids. It's not even like, fair. They're like 20. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The guy's like, he's like fully tatted and shaving and like has like a wife and kids and he's like playing high school football. Um, it, it seems unfair actually. So, uh, okay. So Baltimore. Okay. Uh, so I have like mixed emotions about Baltimore because it is such a cool town. It's got so much cool stuff. But they just cannot seem to get their act together, man. It is crazy. I I, so I'd have to like disagree a little. So okay, I go for it. Baltimore is definitely the best kept secret. It is like totally edgy. There's definitely crime. Yes. 
But the cool <laughs> thing about it is that it's always on the verge of something amazing. Like between Philadelphia, between Pittsburgh and Baltimore, it's always one or two in the United States for best food. And there yeah. like, are terrific restaurants in Baltimore. It's the best seafood you can get anywhere in the country, in my opinion. It is just literally just thriving with all of these incredible, very clever people who are all willing to try something at least once or twice. So it's a lot of innovation. And that's what I liked a lot about it. I worked early days at advertising.com when I was in college, like so sure. AOL. Um, and then in the building above us was Under Armour. Under Armour took over like another part of the complex. So it was incredible how like all these yeah. unique innovators were really coming because it's affordable and it's a place that you can kind of be, which is neat. Well, and you could draw people, I mean, in that part of the country, for those of you guys don't know about the East Coast, that the traffic sucks and everybody's used to it. And like, so people live, you, you can grab people who live in Philadelphia. They'll literally drive to Baltimore to go to work if the job's right. It, an hour commutes nothing, two hours. Or the train's uh, easy. Yeah, yeah, the train's great. Like when I was living Valley Forge, I would like take the whatever I was on Wayne in the main line and I would take whatever the Mark train or whatever path, I can't remember what exactly. it's called. Yeah, to the 30th Street station and then come down and then, you know, yeah, it was pretty sweet. Um, okay, yeah, so, uh, and I will say, there are no better crabs than Maryland crabs. And like, that is like the best thing ever, especially when you can get jumbos or crab imperial the my favorite restaurant and i don't know if they're still open i hope they're still open the, the um oh shoot um, obrecki's or nick's fish house which one obrecki's or nick's fish house so those those are two of my favorites so uh, it's called the crab shanty and it's up on 40 route 40. um Ooh, and it was the one part. that we go we used to go there a lot because it was close to where i grew up i grew up so I was like, I lived in Columbia, Maryland. Like my parents were like founders, like the original people who moved into Columbia. And then uh, we moved to Dayton, which is off 32 and like 70 in that area. And I lived in Glen Elm. And my, and my first job at 14 was at Jerry's Subs and Pizza in the Columbia Mall, making really? cheesesteaks. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. That's so, so cool. <laughs> but Crab Imperial was like a crab cake that they cover in Hollandaise and then broil. And it is so damn good. It's not exactly like a crab cake. Oh, it's so amazing. I'm like, I'm getting that. I'm getting sad. <laughs> oh, and they closed the Clyde's in Columbia, Maryland, and that had the best cream of crab soup, which I would literally kill someone for. Like if they said, you can have that bad of cream of crab soup, if you kill that person, that person would be dead and I would be fat and happy because <laughs> I could eat that every day. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're now in Vegas. So I'm not in Vegas. So okay. I, in January, we moved from Guatemala. We were living, we were in New York City when we had our daughter seven years ago. I was working nice. for City Harvest in Chobani. And we moved to Guatemala for four months on a vacation. We can't, we sublet our apartment and just went for four months for a really nice vacation. And um, we never came back. So, so I you're in Guatemala right now? No. So I spent six years there. And then we moved for this venture capital position in January of last year in yeah. 2019 right before covid so the writing was on the wall like literally as we landed things started getting canceled because of covid um yeah. we knew it was coming so by march we were totally out of san francisco yeah and that's actually so san fran like i have a so i have a couple of hotels in san fran for my day job and uh they uh well, i guess this is my day job too because i'm doing it now but uh <laughs> um 
they, I mean, they're like, holy hell, like the, 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 um, like the lockdowns in Northern California were some of the hardest in the country. And what they were having to do to just keep their hotel like open, I mean, it's a 17 story downtown hotel that had maybe eight rooms full for months. You know, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. So getting out of there was smart because holy hell. That yeah, we so we um we had we were living in Pack Heights and which was a really nice community, but there were people in the park like literally screaming in the middle of the night. It was so terrifying with yeah. our children. So we left and we went to Bend, Oregon for three months, and while we regrouped and figured out our ne- next steps, so we had such a blast. And then um, we decided to buy a house in Connecticut. So we now live in Connecticut. <laughs> It was very weird. And there were hurricanes and tornadoes in the middle of all of that, which I won't bore you with, but I do not live in Vegas. I do commute to Vegas. Um, I, my project the, the kind of wraps up this summer, but I've been working on it for five years. So yeah, and I met the owners of the company I work for now in, in Guatemala. They lived there as well. So that's how we kind of have that connection. So you and your uh, spouse sound like me and my wife in that you make crazy decisions very quickly and don't look back. So (laughs) that's what we do too. Like we got like pissed off in COVID. We couldn't deal with it anymore. Uh, We were having some issues with some neighbors and we literally went, we like went to her parents' house for a weekend and we never returned to our house. We literally just put out the market a week later and left. Oh, uh, they live out here in Highlands Ranch, Colorado as well, oh, right. south of Denver. Um, and we just literally stayed in their house for two months, drove them crazy, sold our house, got a new house, and that whole time. And like, yeah, we we're very quick to make we make decisions, we make them fast, and then we execute flawlessly to get them done. And then <laughs> we pick up the pieces after we realize, man, we should have considered that better. i would say um exactly 100 we are exactly the same so it was a crazy year and now we're um having a wonderful start to the new year in a settled environment with no change (laughs) yeah and then that'll last for six months but yeah (laughs) what are you gonna do so guatemala my good friend oscar who's in my cigar club uh that i had uh he he like runs this international shipping thing and he runs security in guatemala um he gets the bananas from the plantations to the boats to the us and they literally like he flies into guatemala he has an apartment there he's like he's like a cuban-american guy like in his 60s totally cool guy and uh he literally runs armed convoys of like mercenaries who like drive to the banana plantations and go cruising around with like machine guns. And like, because if the cops stop you, it's because the rebels are going to come and pillage your banana trucks. And you know, it's like, if a car breaks down, they just leave it and keep going. Like they just pie tail it to the, the port to get those bananas out of there. Nuts. Yeah, no, it's a very intense place to live in certain parts of it. Oh yeah. Our old nanny was Guatemalan. Oh, you want to hear another crazy Guatemalan story? In Denver, there's this lady who all the Guatemalan refugees, like she's their FedEx. And literally what they do is they just go to her house and hand her packages, which I assume she doesn't inspect. And she literally puts them in a suitcase, flies them to Guatemala on Tuesday, and then her brother delivers them all over Guatemala City. And then I she feel flies like you back. A secret you're not supposed to tell. <laughs> I don't know her name. But <laughs> that's crazy. I, yeah, I mean, we there's tons of stories like that. Like 
border runs, uh, passport, like illegal stamping, people coming in, getting, buying their own visas or their own passports in Guatemala. It was just nuts. All kinds of stuff happening. Yeah, that is a great, it is a crazy place. And, but it's so beautiful. And then obviously they have that crazy volcano too. That seems to always be messing them up. But uh, anyhow. And that was the time um, I lived in. So it was very uh, unusual to have that experience, but it was cool. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, so we're supposed to go to Iceland. We've been supposed to go to Iceland for like the last three, like we've rescheduled this trip three times because of COVID. And like literally we're supposed to go to Iceland and France on Iceland air, you know, because I'll let you stop in Iceland. Yeah. And right now there's a volcano erupting and France locked down again. So I'm like, I don't think the world wants me to get to Iceland and France anytime soon because they're the, the volcano is between the airport and Reykjavik. It's like we're literally we're right there. It could be preventing you from moving there, Tommy. That's like another thing that could be happening. Yeah. Well, I bought the most ludicrous house when we got out of COVID. And it's so stupid and fun that I, I'm pretty much here, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, I'll just put it this way. This is a true story. And like, this isn't me. And I never talk about my stuff like online and whatnot. But I bought this crazy house from these very wealthy people. And, uh, who they just raise their kids there they have other houses they have lots of houses around the world but this was like where they just went to put their kids in high school so they lived here and it looks like a cheesecake factory because they bought all the lights from the people who make the lights for the cheesecake factory so like, <laughs> i literally live in a cheesecake factory oh my god just goes to show you're in food service nobody else could handle that absolutely and i literally like was in cheesecake factory with my family like three months ago and we like saw a sconce that we have in our bathroom on the wall there so it, it's <laughs> pretty brilliant. awesome so good <laughs> okay <laughs> this is ridiculous we've really gone off the rails on this one um <laughs> so where are my questions oh they're there um so now we know what you're doing today you are helping this guy open up like i would assume high-end food courts across the vegas strip is that what you're doing no, I would call them deliciously unhealthy food like Popeyes, Krispy nice. Kreme, oh. Cinnabon. We have like 10 deliciously unhealthy brands and a couple of our own that we've created over the years. One of them is called Fritz. Um, it's a absolutely exceptional French fry that is triangle cut and then deep fried in beef tallow. Oh, it's heaven. Like I can't even describe to you. Like Malcolm Gladwell did a whole story on the difference between a 1970s French fry and like now, and we had like literally, we recreated McDonald's French fry from the 1990s and before. Oh, wow. So my, one of my friends who's been on the podcast and I went to grad school with him, his dad is a huge food engineer. He's done a lot of the, uh, and John's really is a chef as well as sommelier. And he does a lot of uh, food, uh, you know, he'll help people design a food item. Like you go to Wendy's and say, okay, what are you trying to do here? What meal occasion? What are you trying to sell? Whatever. But he's actually doing some consulting for McDonald's and they, and he went through a whole history of how they made all these minute little changes over the last, you know, 70, 80 years and how the, the quarter pounder from 1950 doesn't taste anywhere near what it used to taste. And you just explained it with the fries. It's the same thing. They keep changing little things to be a little bit healthier, or it's a little bit cheaper, or, you know, we can do different fryers or longer lasting oil. And then all of a sudden you don't taste the same. Totally. It's a totally different product. Um, 
So you would say these frites are better than Thrasher's fries, just to keep our Maryland thing going? <laughs> Actually, I'm not Thrasher fries. Um, I'm a pretty big foodie person. So I would say that they are like, it's in a meal. You don't have to eat anything else. They're so exceptional. So I will I send you a link after the, the podcast. Okay, cool. I love the fact that he just went, you know what, we're Vegas. You can eat healthy somewhere else, but we are going to come here and just eat <laughs> amazeball food at Who four in the morning. To eat healthy. Come on. Yeah, no, it sucks. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I was talking this to something the other day. Like, I eat a lot of kale now because I like made a, I've come up with a very good kale salad recipe that's very easy to make. But then I remember, like, in the 90s or the in the 90s when I was in college, I would run a lot of buffets and literally we only had kale to put over the ice, like on ice tables. You know, like we would, we would, oh, yeah. it was and, and under, under fruit trays. Yeah. <laughs> it was like you would put like a big like melon plate out and you would put kale underneath it. So it was just like a, a blue garnish. And now, like, I eat it like twice a week. So, you know, Time it's ridiculous. <laughs> so, and then, uh, okay, cool. So that's what you do today. And, uh, okay, that's good. I don't know what else to ask about that. Uh, what is the big project and initiative that you're working on right now? So right now we are actually uh, expanding Circus Circus and Treasure Island as our two new food courts on the Strip. Uh, nice. Circus Circus has been a very interesting project. It was taken over by Mr. Ruffin last year from MGM right before COVID. So um, it was a really interesting year building that with him and with the Circus Circus team. And we actually are moving a sheer wall we're um, challenging an entire space to kind of see if we can fit in within an existing area that had been previously closed. So it started out as a very simple project, which is now like a $9 million project. And I think it's gonna be pretty awesome, but I see that you're friends with Nick Schaefer and we actually work exclusively with Einstein's on the strip, oh. our coffee offer, our coffee and our, our bagel offer. And so we have a killer Einstein's going in there. We're really excited about it. That's nice. Uh, just uh, for other people who know Einstein's, I think they were a Colorado company, I think is where we started here. Yeah. But they have like the best breakfast box. Like if you're trying to feed your family, go get their breakfast box. You get like muffins, these, and these mediocre hash browns, but like really good breakfast sandwich, tons of bagels. It's totally awesome. Yeah. And they actually uh, created together with our chef, who's a, he's a CIA. CIA trained chef who works on our stuff and he created with Einstein's corporate our own bagel sandwich. It's called the All Nighter. And it it went out at um Einstein, um sorry at Excalibur the first time and it did so well on the menu that they now made it national, which is really cool. So it's called the All Nighter and it's delicious with like a garlic aioli sauce and oh amazing. Yeah, that sounds delicious. Okay, I'll go check it out. Because there's literally one I can walk to the Einstein's um like in my neighborhood like it's right outside my neighborhood so that's awesome uh okay so you're doing circus circus you're building out this giant food court you guys have created a couple of your own brands let me ask you this because you do you own all of the franchises that are in the food court so can you share shared kitchen space or are you sub franchising those out and no we are more as a landlord? we totally okay. so the reason i work for lincoln is he's literally the best operator i've ever worked with he's i've worked with a lot of different restaurant brands and different groups um he's a very special individual when it comes to guest services and i really liked that style so we have disseminated that quality of service across all of our staff we had up to like 500 employees 
maybe three years ago, roughly. And then obviously with COVID, things have changed um, over the last couple of years. And he was the guy who brought Krispy Kreme donuts like west of Mississippi. So he opened up the donuts and the Krispy Kreme donut business in Vegas. So we have a lot of experience with people. And that's a big, very important part of the culture is that we operate. Well, and, and I've been, so I have a buddy who is a real estate uh, developer here in Denver. And so they, they flip houses, they own storage units, they do all kinds of stuff. They kind of act as like a, their own little REIT, you know? And he's been redeveloping, like, you know, they'll go redevelop a block, right? And, and I've been telling him, what you have to do is go in and look at, like, and you're doing the same thing in this food court. Go in, look at, like, how many different, like franchise brands could I bring in here that would keep this thing busy all day long and complement each other and then build one common kitchen area and behind them all. So you can get some, uh, you know, economies of scale, if you will, off of having one giant walk-in that you just have these four shelves are yours. These four shelves are yours. And you could really like one dish machine. You know what I mean? Like you could actually one POS. You know, and, so and I we, think the- so we did try that. I will say, like, it, we thought it would be easier than it, sure. it has been to do that shared, like, economies of scale. Having yeah. a shared dishwasher, no problem. Having a yeah. shared walk in, absolutely a no. Having okay. POS per concept, no way, because they want individualized reporting, even though we can line item sure. it and put it into different, um, whatever paths, it wasn't possible. So, we, because our original intention was actually to create one counter for all five of these concepts and oh, then yeah. have, and then have it all digital off of your phone. So you literally walk up and you order off your phone with a QR code or something. Um, but the brands are just not willing to kind of collaborate that way unless you use third party. And as you know, third party takes like anywhere yeah. from 17 to 27%. So it's not worth it. You know who did that? I think it's, the, I'm gonna say, is it Miami or Orlando airport? I'm trying to think. My kids are with me, so it's probably Orlando. They, there's an Orlando concept where they own all the concepts, but they're under one iPad tablet. And you literally walk up, you order on the tablet, and then they have a chicken concept, a burger concept, pizza concept, and like this, like uh, I think it's in the United Terminal, maybe in Orlando. I'd have to go double check that. But are they brands uh, or are they just um, individual? They're internal brands. So yeah, different. They created a chicken brand, so that's why they could pull it off. You've got the Krispy Kreme guys, and they want you to be on this stupid thing. And then you know you got the uh, whatever the burger guys. They want you to be on that thing. I get it. That's a yeah. bummer. It was kind of a bummer. I got it, but that we did spend a couple of months like truly vetting that because our visual, the visual example we wanted was like you walk up, you have one person who's greeting you, and then you have one yeah. person who's serving you. And from a COVID perspective, honestly, our fear last year was this thing's going to come back. So like, how can we mitigate any potential risk in the future? Yeah. And also that's annoying about that too, is like, now I got to pull my credit card out five times, you know, cause I want to get a Krispy Kreme. I want to get a milkshake. I want to get this. Um, yeah, you know, uh, oh, I got to think of their name. Um, but well, it doesn't matter now because you do it. Well, the HMS host, because they have brand contracts and they all run off of the yep. same micro system and they are like essentially yeah. uh, the way that they've handled it is that they really can manage the brands as they want. So, Sure. They actually can do that, which is very cool. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, I mean, that's right. The Aramarks of the world, because you see that in food courts and colleges and at stadiums mm-hmm. and stuff. They all get onto one POS. But really, they're a licensee. They're not a franchisee. Exactly. And, uh, you know, they get different rules because of that, because um, they're not really under the thumb of corporate, if you will. Um, no. But we are pretty uh, focused on innovation. So that that's fun. We work with the UNLV School of Hospitality. They're rated right nice. now as number one in the world for hospitality, which is amazing. And their um, their focus is really on equipment efficiencies. They have a partnership with WellBuilt. And, oh, yeah. and we have like with our, our Fryer for Freets, we actually worked with Henny Penny to kind of create our own settings that made it really special for this unique fry. So I know that it's possible to do a lot with equipment too. Oh yeah, WellBuilt really pushing like their uh, IOT and that ability to really get the data out of these equipment pieces. And then like you said, yeah, like be able to customize for each use case. Mm -hmm. Make it really unique, it's very cool. So yeah, when I was looking at hotel restaurant schools, when in the nineties, it was always, everything was on the East coast. It was like Cornell, Widener. Uh, I think uh, Johnson and Wales used to show up on that thing too. And that wasn't technically accredited. And then it was like um, UNLV and university of Denver. And I like to ski and I don't like to be in 140 degree weather all the time. And so I chose Denver. <laughs> <laughs> but a little dramatic, like 111, 17, maybe. <laughs> so I had a Volvo when I lived in LA and I drove it to the strip and we were out there you know, hanging out in uh, Vegas, having a nice time. And it's a Volvo. So it's a Swedish car. It has like 117 on the strip. And that car was about, it was, it was like dying. It could not handle <laughs> the heat. It was, it was like a Volvo 240 and it was not happy. That's hysterical. I love that. Uh, and I, we used to go to Vegas all the time at my last company because we had a semantic conference out there. And like, um, yeah, I mean, Vegas is a fun place to be for a week, like four days and or really two days. Like I think it's an ideal like amount of time. Yeah. I, I, no, it's intense. It's like doesn't sleep. You're up all night. You're working yeah. 27. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah, nuts. Um, okay. Yeah, no, I just, and then you come home and you just feel like you've eaten so many calories because you have, but like, you know, it's just balls to the wall out there when it comes to calories. They don't care. Smoking, um, having the smoke after you've been so many years without having it. Like I remember nightclubs when I was in college, you come home and you just reeked of it for the next day, no matter what you did. But now like as an adult going to a casino, like you walk out smelling the same way and it's like impossible to shake it. (laughs) Oh yeah. Kind of gross. <laughs> so I did stand up comedy for like 10 years. And, uh, you know, and that was like the mid 90s through the mid 2000s. So literally, you would stand on stage in these nightclubs and, you know, all the lights are on you. And you could, and like I would just watch clouds of smoke just rolling in front of my eyes. And the people can't see them, but you can see them because of the way the light's pointing down. I would just like yeah. put my hand through them and they would just like float away. It was a very funny act. I did that for 45 minutes and people just loved it. So <laughs> I love um, it. Uh, but it was it was literally like, yeah, it was it was crazy back then. And I'm a big cigar smoker, but I get on smoke inside. Like I get it. You know, I'm cool. Um in Baltimore, they have Havana Club. That's very fun. Oh yeah. I don't think I've been to that one. I haven't actually been in Baltimore. Okay, so the last time I was in Baltimore was like 2015, 14, but I wasn't there for fun. 
I was there because um, I was there for a medical thing for my mom and she got moved to shock trauma and I had to go there for a week. Oh, so yeah. I basically just stuck at the, yeah, I just hung out at the, uh, what's it called? At the courtyard and at the hospital. But anyway, so, oh, but I did eat at the Dick Sass Resort down there, which I used to wait tables at the Dick Sass Resort uh, in Chicago and Denver. And they have one in Baltimore. I don't know if it's still there. Uh, over by the power station or what they call that thing. Oh yeah, downtown, like on the water. Yeah. 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 They also have one yeah. in Excalibur in Las Vegas. Oh, I know. That one's a fun <laughs> one too. Um, I used to make so much money at that place. God, what a good waiting job. You could just be mean to people uh, and, and like have fun with them. And like on Sundays, you got the auto grad gratuity. And so at literally Sunday brunch, I didn't even take dishes to the dish pit. I literally drew a map in my section that said, this is your self-serve Bloody Mary station. This is your buffet. And this is where you take your dishes. And I just talked to people. And then I got in trouble because the manager was like, dude, you can't have people in the dish pit. They're going to fall. They're going to slide all over the place and they're going to break their heads. So then I had to start actually taking their dishes to the dish pit. (laughs) But for like two Sundays, I got away with it and like literally did zero. I did nothing. And I got 20% You're on those disruptors. So I can I can just say, like, <laughs> as an operator or a person who works adjacent to an operator, we would not want you as one of our <laughs> servers. <laughs> but we would want you as our leader. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, that was so funny. I would literally walk with people. Now, come over here. Now, take your dishes. Take your silverware. Throw them in that bucket with all that blue water. Just take your plate. Bang it on the trash can. And just toss it in there. Okay, good. You're good. Put your cup up there. Let's go back to the buffet. And I just walk them back over there. Let him go. It was awesome. It was very fun. Um, okay. What is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? So I am definitely ready for a change. Um, I loved CPG. It was really kind of where my heart ended up becoming. Um, I kept, became glued and obsessed with the concept of demand generation and really thinking about how a consumer buys. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what I did with my venture capital life, and I was moving in the right direction clearly moving in the right direction. And then of course COVID hit. So I feel derailed a little bit. So it's keeping me up at night is figuring out that next step where I can use my brain sure. that, you know, working in Vegas and in construction, it's incredibly rewarding in some ways. Um, but I've, I've definitely surpassed that in my career. I'm ready for a change. Sure. And I mean, you know, you get to a point where like, okay, I want to use my, I mean, demand ju- like, okay. So building out this restaurant, project will feel great when it's done and you can stand in it and it's all quiet and you can look at it and how beautiful it is and you get everybody trained up and then you see customers enjoying it. That will be great. But demand generation is literally one of those things because of technology that you can literally watch every single day and go, if I tweak this word or this thing or that thing, how does that affect sales? And you can watch that data roll in and it, it becomes addictive. Yeah, totally. It is. Yeah. And I mean, we, I, so I do a lot of cryptocurrency and some of the, some of those side elements, um, sure. like NFTs as part of my joy, my husband's an artist. And so we work kind of together in some of the things he's sure. working. On. So I'm definitely like able to fulfill some of that void, but I am like anything in food that really is disruptive and interesting like working for some of the large multinationals like in Nestle or a Bueller or companies that are really on the forefront of technology, like change yeah. can be made with food and I believe it. And I think restaurants need to be 
open-minded to the possibility that four walls don't exist anymore. So I'm looking at all these influencers who are building things out of virtual space and they're just kind of launching like skyrockets into this like virtual world that they've created with all kinds of food offerings, cross-platform, different kinds of menus, and not like none of them exist in four walls. So that does inspire me in the restaurant industry. It's just not what's happening in Vegas right now. Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting. Like we, one of our big clients is Denny's and I give Denny's I so much Denny's. credit. I love um, them. They are good. And, but they are so well run. Like they yeah. are so well run. And like, you know, Denny's was really at a strategic disadvantage going into COVID because they don't have patios. That's not what they do. You know what I mean? They did have delivery and um, they do have delivery and takeout and all that stuff. Um, and some people were looking at them for that. And, you know, and if you've been following the food industry for the last couple of years, there's always talk of these ghost kitchens, right? And mm -hmm. we got to these ghost kitchens and we've got to have, and like one of my good friends who uh, implemented us, our platform over at Qdoba, he's now working with the Uber guys, ghost kitchen thing. He's running their San Diego ghost kitchen. You know, they got, it's where basically it's like 30 stalls that are producing tons of, you know, name brand foods, whatever. And, um, so it, it, that's really cool. But I, I wrote a blog, I don't know, maybe like 18 months ago or something when ghost kitchens became the new craze. And I'm like, every restaurant chain is a ghost kitchen. Like if you own a restaurant, you have a ghost kitchen already, you know, in the world. Like you don't need to go find this new ghost kitchen to do that. Like if you have a burger brand, right? You should have your burger brand and you sell it at your store and then you sell it to go under your brand. But you should also have a bargain burger brand that you just make up online and run it right out of your kitchen with the exact same ingredients, exact same builds, maybe smaller burger patty. I don't know, something like that. Maybe cut your six ounce patty versus an eight ounce. And then you should have a gourmet burger patty as a, a gourmet online burger restaurant as well. That just literally is the same exact burger, but maybe with fancier names. I don't know, whatever, different bun potentially, but as minimal change as possible. And now you have a ghost kitchen running two ghost brands and your core brand out of your, uh, your one like storefront, right? Well, Denny's went out during COVID and they created several different computer uh, online brands that are coming out of Denny's kitchens. Um, Patty Melt, the Patty Melt brand, a burger brand, I don't know the names of them, uh, but they've literally created these online brands that they're running delivery only on that are, that are flying out of Denny's kitchens and their sales are up over 2019 right now. Yeah, and it's incredible because it's really diversification too. They're basically yeah. appealing to every core market. So Applebee's did that with the wings company and then they made a yeah. partnership with Doritos for a Dorito flavored ring. It's brilliant. It's like brilliant marketing, doesn't require that much effort. It's literally all marketing. And then the execution of the food is just something very simple that you have a line cook doing in the same kitchen. It's incredible. Exactly. And so like, and I, and I get the idea behind these ghost kitchens too. Like they, they, they get the footprint so small that it, you can be profitable with third-party delivery, right? Um, so that's really exciting to be able to uh, see how that works. But I'm just saying to all those guys out there that own restaurants, you are a ghost kitchen. You could be 50 different things coming out of your kitchen. So if your core business is slow or the government has said you can only have 50%, like we're still at 50% in Colorado, which is getting ludicrous because we are an outdoorsy high sun volume state a lot of people have you know they can open up their dining rooms to the outside you can make it work our numbers aren't crazy but like if you're being 
held down at 50%, you need to develop some, you need to embrace these third-party uh, platforms in this respect and create some online brands for yourself um, and just try to capture different levels of the market. So what I was talking about was like, yeah, have a cheap burger brand, your normal burger brand and a high-end burger brand so that you, so you maybe you call it like discount burgers and they're two bucks a piece. I don't know, whatever. But like, figure out a way to make them work where you can, you know, you can capture different segments of, of your customer base, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm CPG. So like the first place my head goes is like, how could you do that for a product that you freeze and deliver later? Or it's something yeah. that can come to you in the mail. So like David Greenfield with his dream pops, I mean, he's all over it, LinkedIn sharing his story, but, and you can't even buy the dream pops. They're always sold out, but that is a brilliant model because it's all D to C. And if you can't figure out a D to C play in this day and age, like working, you know, with alcohol and drizzly and what a brilliant model that yeah. was created. There's got to be a way that you can figure out multi-platforms so you're not always reliant on your base. You just have to. Well, and, you know, it's funny with this podcast. So I've had this podcast for like three or four years now, but like I could never really get it going because I couldn't find the time to get the guests on. And so then we hired a, a service to help us get the guests on because I just can't, I don't have the bandwidth to do it. And so now I've been doing so many interviews. I'm doing three interviews today. And, um, and it's wonderful. It's like my favorite thing. And, uh, but I literally have met two different beverage people, two be beverage CPG companies last week. Well, one was this week, a coffee guy out of Michigan and a tea guy out of London. And both of them are doing subscription coffee and tea mm -hmm. as a SaaS so model. Smart. So smart. You know, and the tea guy I thought was interesting because it's called, uh, Oh, hold on. I don't want to mispronounce it because he would be upset with me. Um, but his tea, he actually will send you a month's worth. And because generally there's three tea occasions a day. Um, and those three tea occasions are breakfast, like midday and then after dinner tea. And so they literally will send you a month's worth of tea um, to cover all three occasions. And they're also trying to be kind of like one of those, like I get those uh, box, you know, you, you can get the boxes and they give you all this stuff you would never buy. Um, but like, uh, and, but you know, he's sending out cups. He's trying to make it more of a lifestyle uh, thing. You know what I mean? It's not just, yeah. um, you know, you're not just going to get tea. You're going to get an interesting teacup or a pot or, you know, something that will make it kind of fun. Well, I have a, so I worked with Mighty Leaf Tea for a really long time um, and um, good friends, Jill and Gary, and they created uh, a product called Good Pharma. It's a functional tea and they do the same thing. So they have like a sleep tea, they have a breakfast tea, an afternoon tea, and it's all with functionals like a melatonin or a reishi mushroom. I just love the concept of it because it's so big and robust and these are not inexpensive products. So as opposed to your yeah. glass of wine, you're spending $9 on your single glass of wine with your $40, $50 bottle that you purchased you can have like a five to $6 tea that's going to like knock you out cold. It's brilliant. That's awesome. Yeah, by the way, I just want to point out it's off black tea, just because I would feel bad if I didn't say the name correctly. Yeah, look it up. <laughs> B-L-A-K, they're just moving into the US right now. Um, but he's big in like England and whatnot. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Wait, is that tea, where is that tea company that you just mentioned out of? Um, so good. It's called the Good Pharma, and they're based in um, like Marin County okay. in California. Cool. I, I like the idea of a melatonin tea. That sounds awesome. It's fun. Uh, 
really special. Yeah, I'm a big fan of melatonin. And I love this off-black brand. This is fabulous. Very cool packaging. Yeah, that he yeah, that's a big thing that they were really into. What's funny about this guy, this is actually a true story too. So I did literally two podcast interviews like in a row. Uh, they weren't like back to back. And both guys that were I interviewed, uh, both had been in the automobile engineering space. This guy had been working for Ford and like Kia and stuff. The other guy had been working in trucking and they both had left automobiles. The first guy, uh, JC started this tea company, the other guy, um uh started a coffee company out of uh michigan like bot like bottled uh pre-mixed mexican coffees that have all kinds of spice and stuff in them oh, interesting. and like yeah but i just thought it was crazy to have two guys that were automobile engineers who had a passion for beverage cpg and have moved in that uh realm how interesting yeah, yeah that's yeah, weird <laughs> mario rodriguez with soladera soul Dadera coffee and so they're doing like uh his me mexican coffees that have like spices and stuff in them whatnot um yeah okay so moving on uh so you want to get back into vc and get back into demand generation mm -hmm. um I, I mean the vc market's picking back up i get calls all the time right so it's like i feel like uh those guys are like the i mean uh, it's crazy. I don't know. I don't know what it's like where you just moved to Connecticut, but where we live in Colorado, like yeah, we live really in this good. one. Yeah, it's insane. Like real estate is going insane out here right now. I think it's people fleeing California. I think or my wife thinks it's people who who were business owners who got PPP money. Um, but then, you know, sales bounce back and they were just sitting on a ton of cash. But like we have friends that are literally selling their houses for a million dollars more than they paid for them like seven years ago. Oh, it's incredible. Um, in like Southern Col in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, uh, it's nuts. So, I mean, I think like the VCs and every, I think there's money out there right now for there's whatever a, reason. I'm just not, I, I need to find the right transition. Um, I like the builders groups in the kind of angel venture capital. Yeah. Land. I love investing in general and working with brands. It just has to be the right fit for sure. For sure. Um, cool. Well, anybody who's in that VC space, who's listening to this, Look She's me looking up. for a job. Call her. <laughs> well, we'll put her. We'll put her LinkedIn on. On uh, if you want, we'll we'll confirm that. But yes. we can put your LinkedIn on the show notes, and then you can <laughs> yeah, uh, make that happen. Uh, okay. So, what is the one thing you thought the industry, and you can pick your industry because you've worked in a lot of different ones, would be doing right now that it isn't? Um. So, what is it doing right now that it's not, or what my expectation well, was? What, yeah, like you thought, I thought restaurants would 100% be doing X, Y, and Z, and they are not even close to that or something to that effect. I think it's pretty much what I expected, but I also don't know because I started working at 14 in the industry. So my, I built my entire career and my life on this. I guess I would say um, I didn't expect that it would be a 24 hour a day job. Um, I also sure. didn't expect that typically the industry is split into two categories. You have your marathon runners and you have your alcoholics. <laughs> yeah. So I fit into the marathon runner category, but I'm quickly moving into the alcoholic branch. Um, so yeah, I think those are maybe the two things that I didn't expect. Well, and it was funny because I remember in like 1992, I got to University of Denver Hotel Restaurant School and 
we were in the intro class, you know, of, of the program and Dr. Andy Devine, who uh, is one of my mentors from back in the day and was a great friend of mine uh, and is still alive. I don't want to make it sound like he's not alive or anything, but like, <laughs> he was like, oh yeah, no, this is nice too. Like the restaurant companies are like, yeah, there's still those guys that'll work 80 hours a week, but you know, they're really getting better at working like, you know, 60 hours a week or whatever. <laughs> that was the big trend in 92. And, uh, I think when I was managing the PF Changs in Northern Virginia, I was working like seven days a week, six days a week, maybe oh, yeah. cool. I worked lunch through dinner. So I was there, I had to get there by like 10 and then I left around nine. So, you know, it's so funny. I mean, I was, so I was a gymnast and I was like on the Olympic track, but I never made it to the Olympics. And um, I think that really trained me because you have to work like so hard physically and so hard mentally to be able to do anything. So transitioning into the restaurant world was actually pretty easy for me. And on this side of it, like where I sit today, um, I actually think you don't need to work as hard as you do. You know, what I would like to see the industry do is really take on a higher use of gig employees. And also, I would too, for sure. Yeah. I have like, I have access, like, uh, one of the things I wanted to do and then Uber was gonna do it, then they dropped out during COVID. But one of the things I've like thought about is, could you, could you source uh, restaurant employees like you source Uber drivers? Like right now there's a guy who is, uh, works Monday through Friday, the grill at McDonald's, at a McDonald's this one over here, McDonald's A. And now it's Friday night and I'm at McDonald's B owned by a completely different franchisee. And I need a grill cook and that guy's sitting on his couch. Is there a way I can get that grill cook to my house, to my restaurant, excuse me, to cook McDonald's burgers idea. tonight so for like an open source network of restaurant workers, but it could work yeah. for any industry like retail or whatever. Like I use Upwork all the time for hiring yeah part-time employees. Why couldn't we do that for the restaurant industry? That's brilliant. Yeah. I think that that's, that's where it will end up going at some point. I think there'll be some issues with like W2s and whatnot, but that's why you have like the Uber level thing where he's a contractor. He doesn't work for me. He's a contractor. He has a company. And then what you would do is your skill set would be, I'm trained out on the Aloha 2005. I know the dish master 2500 like it's the back of my hand you know you'd have all those like specs in there or hey i i'm a trained mcdonald's grill cook currently employed at mcdonald's so that any mcdonald's in town could go oh this guy knows how to grill cook get him in here you know the guy so could double his income why haven't you created this this is like a billion dollar idea um because i have my other software platform that i have to run <laughs> that's that's new technology. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, but no, like, uh, and I'm doing the podcast. I'm very busy. Um, <laughs> so I, I just, yeah, but it is like, um, Uber tried to do it, but they didn't make it work. But the, the key is it needs some serious backing because the only way you could get that thing off the ground, because I thought about it a lot, is you got to have a ton of cash to advertise directly to the workers because you got to have the advertising funds to get the workers to sign on to the platform before you can go to the businesses to try to fill it. Now, what I do think you could do is you could go to a McDonald's or a Wendy's with this idea, which by the way, if anyone's listening, call me and I'll have this all built out for you because I actually have the software, but like, uh, or I have access to the software, I should say. Um, but if you could do it through a Wendy's, right? You could go, you could start it at a big company and have them fund it 
out because then they could communicate through their franchisees to the employees. That would be another model to get this thing started. Um, but you got to have some serious, like you can't bootstrap this because oh, you get no. the, the, the amount of uh, yeah, reach you, you need at the beginning. You need the app and you need everyone to be vetted independently. And yeah. because you're working in a kitchen, they have to have food safety requirements and you have, yeah, yeah. just like an endless stream for sure. Yeah. So yeah, you would, this is like a hundred million dollar, like we, we think we have a unicorn type of thing here. Let's put a hundred million into it over the next three years and see what we can do type of deal. Um, but if you did it, you could change, you could change literally the world uh, of staffing because uh, all these things are the same. If it's, it's restaurants, it's retail, it's whatever. All of this stuff is, um, there's a rush. And so the problem that has always been with staffing is I've got all these people not making any money, right? Or either on my clock, but I'm not busy because they have to be there for eight hours or six hours or whatever, right? When really in the restaurant space, I need you from 11.30 to one. That's really, I need all bodies 11.30 to one. And then I need a couple of bodies the rest of the day until five to seven, right? Or eight, and then I'm done. And so there's gotta be a way where you can have a couple core employees that make real money and have a real job. And then on the other side, um, you have, uh, you know, just you just, you just throw bodies into the breach for 90 minutes and then they're gone. You don't well, this is sadly, why robotics are becoming are becoming so popular because they can do yeah. a lot without bodies. But yes, I'm, I hear you. That's such a good idea. Well, and Miso Robotics, I've been trying to talk to that guy forever, uh, but he's he's got his robot down to like ten Gs, I think. Incredible, you know. And it you're like, incredible. It does it infeasible for having that in your kitchen. Well, and realistically if the restaurant industry is going to survive, right? If the restaurant industry is going to be able to handle all these higher minimum wages and all these stupid labor laws, which I, I'm saying they're stupid. Screw you, Seattle, California, New York. You guys are ridiculous. It, it makes it impossible to like actually work in a restaurant uh, with your stupid laws. And I think Vegas is probably similar to that too, because they're so unionized. I don't know though, but like, you're you're going to be forcing these jobs out and you have two people just you and i you know we both started at 14 with a workers permit at a restaurant like this is the this is the career path for a lot of people to get into the real world and to work and to start a career and to learn how to be somewhere on time and uh you know other things like that you know what i mean so like but they're going to replace all this with robots and then you know and then you won't be able to be an unskilled fry cook you're gonna have to be a skilled robot technician to work in the damn restaurant business <laughs> think about paper and printing and what that's involved too it's incredible it all changes yeah yeah um what's it called yeah no it's crazy uh about that and like and this is the other thing i was talking to somebody about the other day too which i really do believe like this is such a cool industry and like the podcast has actually made me fall back in love with the restaurant industry a little bit because you know it's kind of like a, a divorced spouse you know there was love there once but then it beats you down so hard that eventually you leave for a little bit get out of like day-to-day -day ops and uh and then you, but then you still have like romantic like memories of like i remember the good times when we went to hawaii you know what i mean like it's the same thing and like for a lot of years i was just like holy hell um, but now I'm like, oh, I, I, 
I, I'm actually kind of missing it. Not enough to actually go get a restaurant job, but like, um, but you know, like I miss it and I'm falling back in love with it. You know, does that make sense? Yep. Totally. Incredible. So, yeah, but it would be nice if you could work five hours a day and make a fortune. That'd be great. <laughs> or enough to just like be happy and content. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and it's like every time I get mad at the restaurant industry, someone comes out with like crumble cookies or like, uh, have you had those yet? Have you heard those? <laughs> I have. They're delicious. They have one in, <sighs> in Las Vegas. Yeah. I mean, that guy, that, that is like such a beautiful, well-run place. There's a boba place by my house now. Holy hell. I'm yeah, going to gain so much weight at that place. Um, so anyway, yeah. So, but yeah, I don't know what my point is anymore. I've talked. <laughs> um, I, I have to jump shortly. So I just want to let you know. Right. Yeah, me, me too, actually. So let's just do, give me a war story. You got a good war story? Well, I've got a funny one. Uh, the yes. best war story is, uh, so I was like seven months pregnant at a Chobani meeting. And one of the, oh, one of the, um, I'd flown in from Guatemala for this meeting and it was like three day session. And the last day they decided they wanted to have a vodka tasting. And so I did the vodka tasting like fully because I was so excited. It was like the, the woman from Chopin, she was the daughter and she worked at Chobani also. She had like grown up with this family who had, you know, created out the entire Chopin community and brand. And she was showcasing like her grandparents through her parents and now her brand of Chopin um, for the Chobani team. And so she's this incredible tasting. And I was like seven months pregnant and my stomach burned. Like it was the end of the world. <laughs> I was dying. And I actually thought I killed my child, but he's actually quite healthy and perfect. So five years later, I think we haven't damaged him too much. Um, but that would be my food service war story. Like, you know, nothing is too much for somebody who is diehard and loves to try. Uh, and absolutely. And also there's nothing better than pregnancy heartburn from what I've heard. It is a whole level of heartburn. <laughs> it was a weird one. <laughs> That's for yeah. sure. But I That's highly awesome. recommend doing a Chopin tasting if you haven't. It's exceptional and like mind blowing. Well, and okay, so I know you have to go and I have to go too, but I'm really pissed. The whole purpose of vodka is to be tasteless. So like, was it flavored vodkas or like, because the best vodkas are strained the most amount of times. Yes, but there's a nuance with the mouthfeel, with the way that your tongue feels after you. Oh. So, so it's actually smoother or rougher or whatever, spicier. It doesn't have a flavor, but it's a texture in your mouth. It's really interesting. Uh, that is really interesting. Okay, I got it. I hear you. One time, just, I, one time, so I was buying, yeah, Stranahan's was this huge whiskey that came out of Colorado and they won all this stuff and then three olives bought them. But I got to, through a friend of mine, meet the guys that were distilling it back in the day when they were doing like three stills and it was like two guys literally running the whole thing. And they let me drink the distillate out of the different stills to see the different uh, aspects of filtration. And it was very similar. It was like, there's an oil to the, the, the liquors at different stages that coats your tongue. And it is, that is what you're probably referring to, I think. I literally know nothing about it, but it was so like unusual and joy-filled and it sounds exactly like your experience. I would totally recommend it. Oh, well, that's great. Well, Rich, I know you got a boogie. I got a boogie too. 
Um, do you want to plug anything? Do you want me to put your LinkedIn link yeah, on the show notes? Yeah, I'm, I'm Rach Brand with an E, so R-A-C-H-E Brand. And I um, I have a site called brandsontherise.com. It's in progress, but I'm always excited to hear from people. And if you're a startup or you're somebody who really wants to have a get shit done girl on your team who understands demand gen generation, I'm the person. So give me a call. Well, great, Rach. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed the interview and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much, Shami. Oh, you're so welcome.